1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I'm going to read the first four verses. You can follow along and then we'll pray. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians. In God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. And Father, as we just get used to going into this book, as we get introduced to this letter, I pray your Holy Spirit would excite our hearts and that we would really want to, as a church, understand what it means to grow in these last days. Lord, there's so much confusion about what growth really looks like and about what the last days really are. So we pray there'd be clarity as we go through these two letters. We pray, God, there would be direction. We pray, Lord, there would be a change in our lives that we would grow and abound in love for you, in love for one another, in love for the people of this world. Lord, that you would do what only you can do in our hearts. Please, Lord, meet us here this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, everyone says, Amen. Amen. So, there's a word that I want you to look at in verse 1. It says, to the church of the Thessalonians. Church. When we talk about the word church, we're often thinking about a place. What are you doing today? I'm going to church, a building. Oh, what is, where's your church? We meet in a school. Wait, I thought you said you're going to church. And we get confused. Church is about a building, we think. But actually, that's never what the word means in the New Testament. In fact, the word for church, it's a Greek word, ecclesia. And that word ecclesia was used in, in secular terms, in secular Greek literature, just to mean a formal gathering. So an ecclesia could be anything. It could be, hey, we're going to meet up uh, and we're going to have tapas at this place uh, as, as the group of artisans at this time. Okay, what are we doing? When we gather there, they're the ecclesia. It became to, to be known, and it's used in the New Testament, for a religious gathering, a formal religious gathering. We're getting together as the ecclesia, the gathered togethered ones. Now really what it speaks of is less about, it doesn't really speak about a place, it's, it, it is about the people, but it's more specifically about what the people are doing. They're coming together for a reason, there's actions involved. So that the Ecclesia isn't just a group of people, but it's a group of people that are identified by their reasons for gathering. They're identified by why they're there, what they're doing. And so when Paul writes to the Ecclesia, he's saying, I'm talking to you who have come together, who are living a certain way for a certain reason. Now to get the background about this church, we got to look at Acts chapter 17. It'll be on the screen. You can find it if you want in your Bibles as well. Stay in 1 Thessalonians, but if you want to find Acts 17, you can. If not, it will be on the screen. In Acts 17, we're going to get a picture of what's going on. First, there's a map. There should be a map on the screen. Can you guys see the map? Is it bled out? Can you see it? It's okay? Yeah? That's a, if, if, you, if you 
know what this is. You see the Mediterranean Sea. This is where it says Asia. That's what we've been called Asia in the scripture. It's actually kind of modern day Turkey in that area. Okay, so, so this is a, a map showing the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter, showing his second missionary journey. And that's kind of recorded in part in Acts chapter 17. The city he's speaking of is the city Thessalonica or Thessalonica, depending on how you want to pronounce it. And that's kind of, you can see it as a star on the map. That's kind of where that city is, okay? Now, the city Thessalonica was the sort of the primary city of this area of what was then called Macedonia, okay? And this was considered a free city. And what that means is, it means because they had cooperated with the Roman government, they were allowed a lot more freedom to rule themselves. They could make a lot of choices. They were a free people. They could mint their own coins. They could, they could elect their own officials. They could make their own local decisions. And that was a really big deal. They were very proud of that. And so this, 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 this kind of background helps us understand what these guys were experiencing, maybe why the, the people of Thessalonica felt so threatened by this gospel, which we'll see was the case. So looking at Acts chapter 17, again, you can see it in your Bibles, you see it on the screen. Here's what we read. It says, now when they, that's, this is talking about Paul and Silvanus, or Silas as he's called in the book of Acts, and Timothy, among others on Paul's team. It says, so when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. And so this is what Paul would do. Paul and his team, they'd go from city to city. They would go to a Jewish synagogue, because they were Jews, talking about a Jewish Messiah. And so they'd go into a synagogue, and they would explain from the Old Testament Scriptures why Jesus is that Messiah, and why the Messiah, God's chosen king, had to suffer and die, and why he had to resurrect, why that was all predicted in the Old Testament and had already come to pass. They were preaching what we call the gospel, the good news about Jesus. And so what Paul's really doing here is he's explaining to these Jews, he's saying, listen, this Jesus we serve is trustworthy. This Jesus that we proclaim to you is the Jesus that's been predicted in the Old Testament and now has come, has come to pass and we're preaching to you now this new covenant that's in his name. But what happens, of course, is this doesn't make everybody happy. Now, we, we, we'll see there's some good stuff happening and not so good stuff happening. Here's what happens. Paul's preaching and he says, and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded. And a great multitude of devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. So what's happening is as he's preaching in a Jewish synagogue, almost every Jewish synagogue in the Roman Empire had an area where Gentiles, non-Jews, could come and listen to what was being preached and decide do they want to worship the God of the Jews, okay? So when it mentions devout Greeks, it's those people. They're, kind of, they're, they're actually kind of on the outside looking in. And they haven't necessarily been converted yet, but they're still thinking about, do, do, I, I want to believe in this God of the Jews, right? So they're devout. They actually have a faith that that God of the Jews is worth seeking and pursuing. So when they hear Paul talking about Jesus, they're going, that's the God I need. That's the God I need to serve. And they get converted. And of course, there's also some leading women involved in this, probably Jewish women who are also converted. And they begin to go with Paul and, and Silas and follow him. 
But here's what we read next. It says, But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathered a mob, set all the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out, of, uh, out to the people. That is, sought to bring Paul and his team out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who turn the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying, There is another king, that is Jesus, okay? Uh, and they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And so when they had taken security from Jason, that is, kind of find them, and the rest, they let them go. So you have Paul and his team, they go into Thessalonica, as they did to other cities. They share who Jesus is. Some people decide to follow Jesus, but the most religious people say, nah, we don't trust you, we want you gone. And they stir up the locals to come against uh, Paul and his team. And they get so bad, Paul and his team have to flee. They have to actually leave Thessalonica. And so the guy who's hosting him, Jason, who's the ruler of the synagogue there, he's hosting him, they give him the third degree, they make a big deal about it. And basically, Jason here has to, has to basically do what Paul and his team couldn't do anymore. He has to demonstrate the trustworthiness of Jesus. You know how he does that? By suffering for Jesus. Can, can you imagine becoming a Christian? Now, some of you are already believers, some of you are not. But becoming a Christian, and you think, wow, this is it. This answers the questions. This tells me who God is. This gives me hope for the future. And then what happens? The very day you become a Christian, everything falls apart in your city. People are all against you. How intense would that be? And this is what we have going on in the church of the Thessalonians. They're in a place where they're, they're, as soon as they get converted, these people get converted, the city is against them. Now, part of this could have been the fact that the city was a free city and they wanted anything that rocked the boat. Hey, look, Caesar gives us free, uh, freedom. We can do what we want. So don't start talking about there's another king besides Caesar. That's only going to cause us problems. It could be that. It could be the fact that, that the Jews were thinking, wait a second, you're, you're preaching another God, even though they weren't. They're preaching the God of the Jews becoming man. That's what the gospel is. But hey, we don't know if we want this either. But all this, we probably can conclude, was really demonic. That the enemy doesn't want the gospel to spread. So as soon as the gospel takes hold of somebody's hearts, the enemy comes against that person. I've, I've heard the story dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of times. People make a decision to follow Jesus, and then their lives seem to fall apart. They're like, I thought things were going to get better, and it feels like all hell's broken loose. You know what? All hell has broken loose. <laughs> There's an attack that comes on people when they choose to follow Jesus. The enemy doesn't want to let people go. Now, the, the, what I want to talk about really with, with the, this whole letter of the Thessalonians, is, especially today, is, is the fact that this church is really just exemplifies what it looks like to plant a healthy church. And I want to talk about this, one, because this is exactly what's happening in 1 and 2 Thessalonians, Paul's writing to this healthy church, this amazing church. Um, but also because this is what we're doing. We're, we are right now planting uh, one church in Gulston and getting ready to plant a second site in Thorpe St. Andrew. That's where the new building's going to be. And so this letter, these letters are really appropriate to where we are as a church. And it's, it's good for us to understand what healthy church planting looks like. 
Now, if you're still thinking about this Jesus stuff and wondering, I'm not too sure what I believe even about this Jesus stuff yet, you might think, well, this isn't really going to apply to me because I'm not really interested in, in where you guys are starting churches. I just want to know about this Jesus thing. But you need to understand something. That this is, this is the Jesus thing. This is what Jesus is doing through his church. He's calling us. He calls those who follow him to take the truth of who he is, to explain it and demonstrate it in a way that gathers other people around him. This is what they are. The church of the Thessalonians is a gathered people. Now, it's important that we recognize that this gathering happened through the labor of this team, these faithful missionaries. God's doing a work through them, but still they're doing work. They're cooperating. It's important that we understand this. Any ushers available to come <laughs> be very nice to those children and ask them to be quiet? They're not our kids. They're from another group. They're lovely kids. Don't hurt them, please. <laughs> this team that's doing this work is not, it's not a team that's just, it's not just Paul and a bunch of lackeys around him. They're doing a work together. Paul lists in, in writing this epistle, and we know that Paul is actually the author by the internal evidence, but Paul doesn't start saying, me, Paul. Paul identifies himself and Silvanus and Timothy. Why? Because he wants the Thessalonians to be reminded, it wasn't just my preaching that did this. We worked as a team. Interesting, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, doesn't talk too much about Timothy in the situation. But we do know, here's what we do know, we'll find this out again internally in the book of 1 Thessalonians, that when Paul had to leave, Paul and his team had to leave because they were persecuted, they wanted to know how are these guys doing, man? They, they just become Christians and now they're going through heavy persecution. They send Timothy back and what happens is, Timothy goes, he, he, he sees what happens, he comes back and he tells Paul, he says, Paul, they're not just doing okay, they're thriving. Yeah, it's a really difficult situation. They're going through some serious persecution, but they're thriving. It's amazing how well that church is doing. And so that's why Paul writes this letter. He writes this letter, to one, because there's certain questions that they had. I mean, think about it. If you, uh, you know, came to faith in Jesus and you had maybe three to eight weeks of sort of investment by mature Christians and then they bail on you, you're going to have a lot of questions still, aren't you? And so they had a lot of questions. They're going through a lot of persecution, but they're standing fast with Jesus. They're continuing to walk with Jesus. So he writes this letter going, man, Basically, you guys rock. That's a paraphrase. You guys rock. You guys are, it's amazing what God's doing through you. And I also want to answer these questions. But the, the point I'm wanting to make is that this, it was through the labor of faithful missionaries that this church happened, not just through gifted individuals, but a group of people with a gospel focus. You need to understand something. The church in Golston is not going to get planted just because Zach and Miranda are amazing people. And they are amazing people. But it's going to get planted because there's going to be a team that gathers around them. We need to pray for that team. Right now that team consists of me and Savannah. <laughs> and I'm only there temporarily. We need to pray that Savannah gets a job so she can be there all the time. We need to pray that other people come alongside. Not radically skilled people, but people who love Jesus, who want that gospel to be shared, and are willing to invest in those people. The same thing happens when we, when we plant a second site up in uh, um, St. Fa uh, St. What is it called? Thorpe St. Andrew, thank you very much. I, I gotta find out where this place is before I get involved in the church planning. 
We need to pray for laborers to go be involved in that. Missionaries, listen. Listen. God calls every one of us as believers to mission. Whether you've been a Christian for 30 minutes or you've been a Christian for 30 years. So you need to be praying for that specific mission and saying, God, are we supposed to be part of that mission team? This is what God does. He calls faithful missionaries, not just gifted individuals, but a group of people with a gospel focus. And what happened? What, what do we underline there in Acts chapter 17? It's verse 6. When, when these guys see that there's people being converted, they start an uproar, but what do they say? These who have turned the world upside down. That was the reputation of the gospel of Jesus in that first century. This is around the year, around somewhere between 48 and 51 AD. That already, just less than like 20 years after Christ was crucified, resurrected, and ascended to heaven, 20 years, the, the reputation in the Roman Empire is this Jesus is turning the world upside down. Now we know it's right side up. <laughs> yeah. But it's happening through normal people with a gospel focus committed to follow Jesus. I want you to also notice in verse 1 it says, Paul is writing to the church of the Thessalonians. He didn't say the church in Thessalonica, but the church of the Thessalonians. That's important. It's important because these guys were really proud of their culture. They were really proud of their city. And that by itself isn't wrong. And when Paul says he's, he's calling them the church, they're the gathered out, they're the ones that come together, the ecclesia, they're the gathered together for a purpose. They're Christ's church, but they're made up of Thessalonians. This is important. It's important because we need to recognize that there, God's not calling us to reject our culture. He's calling us to glorify God in our culture. I mean, even me as an American, I don't have to reject all my culture. It's true. Even me. You go, there's no culture in America. I know what you're thinking. <laughs> but the truth is, God calls us not to reject culture, but redeem culture. Which means, listen, we don't have to make the city look Christian. We need to bring Christ to the city. Do you understand the difference? Now, notice also, he says, grace and peace to you. This, the greeting that he gives the greeting is, we'll talk more about grace and peace as we go on, but this is a really powerful greeting that he brings. Grace and peace. Notice he says, from God, uh, he says, uh, in, first he says, before grace and peace, sorry, he says to the church of Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. Notice, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the greetings Paul brings are not in the name of Christianity. Did you hear what I said? He's not bringing greetings in the name of Christianity. He's bringing greetings in the name of God himself. This is really important. Because what these guys were bringing to, to Thessalonia, what we bring to the church plants we bring, is not an idea. It's not a bunch of concepts, uh, a bunch of principles for living. We are bringing a person, the person of God, the three-in-one the creator of the universe who took on flesh and walked in this world. We're offering to people a person, a relationship with a living God. This is so important for us to understand. This is why, listen, you can be the most moral person, committed church-going person, and not be ever effective in mission. 
Because the only way we can introduce people to a living God is to know that living God. That's what these guys did. They knew their God, and they wanted others to know their God. So when he's greeting the church, he's saying, listen, you, we're, 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 we're greeting you in the name of our Father. Not just the Father of the Jews, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, so that anybody who's put their faith in Jesus is a son or daughter of God. He's our Father. This is amazing to me. It's amazing to me because as we live in, in the West right now, there's this massive battle between globalism and nationalism. There's this conflict. And you know that this conflict, what's interesting to me about this conflict is it's, it's easy for us as, as believers, as people of faith, to try to pick one side or the other. And I don't think we can. Because here's the reality. Only the gospel shows there's, a, there's wisdom in both globalism and nationalism. Here's what I mean. The Bible says, God so loved the what? World. World. <laughs> that God's heart is for all the nations. We know this to be the case. The vision we have of worship in heaven in Revelations 4 and 5 is every tongue, tribe, and nation praising God in their own language, giving glory to Him. That's after the resurrection. This is after He's fixed the earth. <laughs> we don't lose that national identity. So God has this heart for the whole world. He doesn't have favored nations. He chose Israel for a purpose. He's used Israel. I still believe he's going to use Israel for a purpose. But he doesn't choose favorites. He says, I want to do work in every nation, among every people, in every tongue. And yet, he says, I want to keep that national identity, and I want that to be clear. There's a place for that as well, an eternal place of that. Nothing else but the gospel does that. This is why we need to be careful that we're not picking sides. I'm not saying don't vote a certain way. Either way, I'm not telling you how to vote at all. What I'm trying to say is make sure that your heart is, Lord, I'm for the whole world and the nation you've put me in. This is one of the reasons why we hope, this is a kind of a cool announcement, we hope by the end of this year to be British citizens. Oh, jolly good. Can't wait. I'll start drinking tea instead of coffee. That's going to be weird. <laughs> God wants to do a work in Norwich. God wants... <laughs> Lovely kids. We love those children. Yes. <laughs> God wants to do a work through us. He wants to call us to be Local, faithful missionaries that are declaring Jesus to the people around us. Wouldn't it be amazing if that was the testimony of the church in Norwich? That people would say, man, there's so many churches in Norwich now. They are turning the city upside down. Lord, let it be. Let it be. Now, speaking of this being about God himself, Jesus prayed something for us in John chapter 17. Jesus prayed. He said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is what we're calling people. When we, we're asking people, encouraging people to receive eternal life, we're, we're calling them to receive an eternal relationship with their creator through Jesus Christ, who paid the price for their sins. So this gathered people, they were gathered through the labor of faithful missionaries, but also 
they were gathered together for the development of growth. They were called to be growing believers. And this is what Paul gives thanks for in verse 2. Paul says, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. Paul does this three times. You'll see this later on in chapter 2, verse 13, and in chapter 3, verse 12. And these different prayers kind of end different sections or begin different sections of this letter. But it's important that we recognize that part of what God has done to grow the believers in, in Thessalonica is He's worked through the prayers of the saints, the prayers of people, and specifically working through thankful prayers. Now, how many of you guys have done your info card and you get the emails on, on a Friday, you get the directory? How many of you guys have a church directory for Servants Church? How many? Not very many of you. Hmm, too bad. So, good point. Some of you guys are visitors. We don't expect you to have it. It's fine. Don't worry. But those of you who are here and you have that, okay, do you know one of the reasons you have that? It's not just so you can find someone's number so you don't just bug me for numbers, which you still do sometimes. <laughs> it's so that you can, it's, it's a great tool to kind of open up and say, I'm going to pray for these people. You know what's funny? I, I've had situations where I'm looking at a name on the directory. I'm, I'm embarrassed to admit this. and I'm going, I don't really know who this is. I can't put it to the face. And maybe I'll pray, Lord, help this person. I have no idea what they're going through. If they know you, help them to grow. If they don't know you, help them to come to know you. Help me to meet them. And I'll meet them. And, and, and I'll see them. And especially on Name Tag Sunday. So full disclosure, we have Name Tag Sunday so I can learn your names. That's part of the reason, right? <laughs> name Tag Sunday, I'll go, that's the person. That's the one we are praying for. Oh, that's who that is. We need that, don't we? We need to know each other this way. Okay? We need to pray for each other. You know what's amazing too? I have found that my, my heart is open to the people that I take time to give thanks for. And sometimes they think, I don't know that person well enough to give thanks for them, but I do. I, I can thank God that I know they're made in the image, in his image. I can thank God that they're one for whom Christ died. I can thank God that he's graced us. Uh, with, with putting them in our church, that we're graced with their presence. We really are. I can thank God that he wants them to know him and to grow closer to him. I can thank God for all those things. It's amazing how your heart links to somebody when you give thanks for them. Paul wants to see the believers in Thessalonia to, grow, uh, to keep growing, and therefore he prays for them thankfully. Look at verse 3. He prays for this specifically. He says, remembering without ceasing. Here's what he's giving God thanks for. He says, your work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope. I love this. Because what he's talking about here is he's talking about the fact that these guys are progressing in their faith, even under severe persecution, they're progressing in their faith, both with the right actions and the right motives. Both those things are apparent in the lives of the people in this church. It's important that we understand this because God calls us to grow in action, not just grow in understanding our ideas. In fact, this is what James is talking about in James chapter 2. Listen to this. James says, in James 2, verses 16 and 17, he says, if, if one of you says to them, that, that is a, a person in need, says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, by faith, the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. The, the point that James is saying is not that we're earning our salvation by our actions. He's saying we're showing that we're saved by our actions. In other words, what we do shows 
whom we really believe. I've seen this a lot in my own prayer life. This is one of the things I got really convicted the last time I taught the book of James, was where James talks about if you lack, pray. And as I was thinking about that, yeah, okay, it's important that we pray, we pray in faith. God really convicted me because how little I pray. I mean, I just don't pray like I know I should. And, and God showed me, you don't pray because you believe your actions are going to be more fruitful than mine. See, I, I work hard. I do. I'm not saying that to brag. I'm just saying, my wife will tell you, I put a lot of hours into ministry. But I don't always put the hours into prayer that I should. You know what that is? It's an act of faith. It's me thinking, my work in the ministry will be more effective than God's work for the ministry. Is that stupid or what? It is stupid. What I want is my life to line up with the faith that I know in my head, I know in my heart that God is trustworthy, that He can do way more than I could ever do. So I want to demonstrate that by saying, Lord, before doing anything else, I want to get on my face and say, God, would you help me with this? And would you do this? Because I can't do that. And would you work this out? Would you provide? I want to seek you for your help on these things. So it, it can't just be that. But also, it, can't, it has to be not just the right actions, but the right motivations. Interesting. He talks about their work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope. Listen to what Jesus dictates to John for the book of Revelation. Listen to this. This is Jesus speaking to the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. Jesus writes, or has John write, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. You have tested those who say they are apostles and are not. You have found them to be liars. You have persevered and have patience. You have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. So he's saying that's all good stuff. But he says, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. In other words, you're doing good stuff, but you're doing it for the wrong reason. You're doing it with the wrong heart. See, God's interested both in the right actions and the right heart. And God is in the business of developing that in us, that we would do the right things for the right reasons. Now, in saying this, I want to be really clear about something. Don't get stuck into a trap that says, okay, I'm only going to do the right thing when I have the right heart. If you do that, nothing's ever going to get done. <laughs> nor get in the trap that says, nor get in the trap that says, I'm going to keep doing the right thing and not worry about if I have the right heart. That's not good either. Wisdom would say, God, help me to do the thing that you would want me to do, to grow in the way you want me to do. We'll talk about what this labor of love is and this, uh, this work of faith and this patience of hope as we continue on in the book of 1 Thessalonians. But as we're learning to do it, Lord, help me to do this with the motives you want me to do it in or with. Help me have those motives. What's the motive that God wants? What did Jesus say? Love. What's our first love that we tend to neglect? A lot of people say this is our love for God, but you know what I think that our first love, the first love really is? It's God's love for us. So, so often what happens to me, my motives get, tend to sort of get derailed before my actions to where I'm still doing all the right things, but my heart's not good. And it shows up when somebody treats me bad and I'm frustrated. No, it's just all for you and you treat me bad? What does that show? It shows that I'm actually not doing it as a servant because I love God. I'm doing it because I feel I have to or because if I don't do this, nobody else will or because I'm trying just to be that good example. And all those things are fine, but the truth is God wants me to do those things because I love Him. And then if people don't like it or don't appreciate it, or, it doesn't matter. Lord, you're pleased. As long as you're pleased, 
I want to do it. God wants us to do the right things for the right reasons. Paul thanks God that this church, just a baby new church plant, experiencing severe persecution, is moving forward. They're growing in the right works for the right reasons. Now lastly, verse 4, we're almost done. Paul's thanking God because he says, we know, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. Now election is a really deep theological concept, but we're not going to get into that right now. We'll talk more about that next week. But just think about this for a second. It's, some of your versions probably say, knowing that you were chosen by God. That's the idea. The, 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 the main thing we need to understand at this point, we'll talk more in depth next week, but the main thing you need to understand at this point is that God is the one who initiates relationship with us. It's God who does that. So if you're here today and you're, you're not yet a believer and you're going, well, I chose to come to church. Nobody made me come. God didn't make me come. I'm still just kind of checking things out. That's really good. We're super glad you came. And good on you for, for coming, really, to for make that effort to spend a couple hours on a Sunday morning listening to a bald American guy. Well done. <laughs> but you need to know something. If you have an inkling that you want to know the God of the Bible, you need to be encouraged in something. That's God initiating a relationship with you. God is not sitting there kind of waiting like, who's going to show up? What's going to happen? God is actively pursuing people. See, we who are already Christians, God has pursued us, he has found us, he has saved us, he is changing us, and he's calling us to partner with him to find out who he's pursuing. But for, for, for you who, who are still kind of thinking about this stuff, you need to know God is initiating something with you. Now what Paul's giving thanks for, he's saying we know that God initiated a relationship with you. And the word he uses for know is a word that specifically means we know by observation. He's going to talk next, or we're going to talk next week about the things that he observed in the Thessalonians. And he's going, man, God is doing a work in you. God is initiating something. He's done something. He's saving you. He's doing a great thing in you. He says we know that. But I love the fact that he does this. Listen, I love the fact that he says, um, he refers to them as beloved brethren. I think we hear it so much, we forget the simple and profound and powerful truth that God loves us. You're so loved. You're so very loved. Right now, right here, in whatever state you are, you're loved. Because God's the initiator of this relationship. He meets us where we are at. In his love, he comes to us where we are at. If you're thinking, no, John, you don't know. I am hard-hearted. I, 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 there's a part of me that hates God. There's no way God could love me. Hey, you're here. I'm convinced God's pursuing you. You might be here going, no, John, you don't know. I've been such a hypocrite. I say I'm a Christian and I live completely in a way that I shouldn't. There's no way God would love me. Hey, you're here. God wants you to hear this. As hard as it is to hear it, as painful it is, you're here. The Bible says God chastens those he loves. 
So that conviction of your heart, that, ooh, I'm uncomfortable, that's God in his love saying, it's time to change. See, when, when Paul says to these guys, beloved brethren, when the Holy Spirit says to, to us through the word, you are loved by God, listen, it's a love that meets you where you are, but never leaves you there. It's a love that says, okay, let's start walking together, and I'm going to change you from the inside out. This is why God calls everybody to repent or to turn from their sin and turn to him. He calls every single one of us. The first, the first recorded word that Jesus preached was repent. It was instead of being in allegiance to your sin, allegiance to yourself, wanting to live with you on the throne of your heart, turn from that and turn to Jesus, who's the King of kings and Lord of lords. Trust him who loves you. That's amazing because the love of God is, is less about, it's not a, has nothing to do with us deserving it. It has to do with God just being a God of love who gives it. The God who is love, Father, Son, and Spirit, always has been love, invites us into that relationship. The reality is God can't love us more, nor can God love us less. It's his love that motivates him to change us. We're going to see as we continue through this letter that the Thessalonians were not a perfect church. They were a glorious church, an exemplary church, just a great example again of a healthy church plant. We're going to learn loads about what this should look like in us planting the churches that we're planting. But they weren't a perfect church. There were things they needed to grow up in. There were things they needed to get right. God in His love made sure that they knew that. God in his love made sure they knew how they could grow closer to him, how they could grow more like Jesus. That's what the word holiness means. Holiness means to be set apart for God's purpose. Holiness means you're set apart and God's making you like the Holy One, Jesus. God's doing that. The Thessalonians were gathered people. That is, they came together for the reason to know Jesus better, and to make him known together. That's why we're here too. Let's pray. Father, I pray that, um, Lord, you would really use this letter to impact our lives, to, to bring real change. Lord, we don't want to just understand we don't want to just understand what Paul was wanting the Thessalonians to know. We want to understand how you want us to walk in this. Show us, Lord. Father, I pray for anyone here who, whose eyes are still closed to your love. They're hearing what I'm saying, but they're not seeing it. Would you open the eyes of their heart? Would you bring that revelation of your love, that you love them enough to warn them of where their life is going, that you love them enough to convict them, to make them miserable so that they can eventually be happy, that you love them enough, Lord, to clothe yourself in human flesh, to live a perfect life, to die on the cross and raise from the dead to provide a way for them to know your love forever. 
God, would you bring that revelation to their hearts? And may they receive you today. May they cry out to you and say, God, I believe you are that God of love. I believe you are the God and Father of my Lord Jesus Christ, and I want to follow Jesus, and I need your forgiveness, and I want to walk with you. God, stir their hearts in that direction. And Father, for us that know you already, Lord, help us to press on knowing you. Help us to not forget that the reason you don't just take us to heaven as soon as you save us is because you leave us here as missionaries. That you are on mission. You're seeking and saving that which is lost. Lord, you want to involve us in that process. That is all church planning is, is about us being on mission. Help us to catch your vision for that. That we would continue to grow in these last days. We wouldn't just kind of lift our hands and wait for you to come back. We would be active about your mission. Please, Lord, help us to do this, we pray. We thank you for today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.